Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. testimony that was given, we are going to be studying, continuing in our understanding of faith. Last week, we covered the subject of undaunted faith, and today we're going to cover the subject of intelligent faith. And so as we look at this message, it's found in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to have a word of prayer, and we will continue along this theme from the testimony that was given of how God draws souls to himself. If you would bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, illuminate our minds and draw us ever closer to you. We thank you that we can have multiple thousands of pieces of evidence that you are working in the lives of people. Father, we know that more than we love those around us, you love them, and that you desire to draw them close to you until they are sealed into eternal salvation. We pray that as we go through this message today, that we might see ways in which you do this. And Father, that we might also be encouraged as we study. Forgive me of my transgressions, Lord, and I pray that I will not be seen, but that Jesus will be uplifted. This is our prayer, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, let all of God's people say, Amen, amen, amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to verse 5, and when you are there, say amen. Amen. So last week, we covered the subject of undaunted faith. We looked at a leper, and we saw this leper came to Jesus um, despite the situation that he was in, despite the mess that he was in, this leper came to Christ Despite the fact of the multitude that was around Jesus at that time, did that stop the leper? That was a question. No, right? So no, it didn't stop the leper. The leper still went to Jesus. And so the result of that undaunted faith, was that undaunted faith rewarded? Amen, it was, right? He was ultimately healed by the Son of God, and not just healed by the word of Jesus, but Jesus also touched him. We learned the lesson in that point that Jesus is not afraid of our mess, right? The things that we may have done in our past, the mistakes that we may have made, the blatant sin that we may have done, and our rebellion, God is not afraid of. And so he comes to us in the heart of our mess And he draws us to himself, and he brings healing to us, even in light of that mess. So we learn this principle of undaunted faith, and this is the kind of faith that God wants us to have. But today we're going to see that God wants us to have a faith that is even greater than undaunted faith. And this is according to the words of Jesus himself, and that is an intelligent faith. And so you're there with me in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. And it says there, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion begging him. I looked up this word centurion, probably you guys know what this means. It's in the name already. Centurion means captain of 
how many soldiers? A hundred soldiers, right? Hence, century centurion. So this is a captain. He's a Roman captain, a Roman leader, over 100 soldiers. And so is this guy a Jew or is he a pagan? Yeah, right? He's a heathen. But notice how this guy responds to Jesus. He came to Jesus, verse 5 says, begging him, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, meaning he's suffering from paralysis, grievously tormented. So imagine he's in a state of paralysis, but at the same time, his body is aching, right? And that's an interesting situation to be in. You, you can hardly move, but at the same time, you're feeling the pain of the paralysis. And so this man comes to Jesus, though heathen, he comes to Christ, acknowledges him as Lord, and then says, what to Jesus? He says, the situation, and then he asks Jesus to heal his servant. He says, Lord, my servant lies home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus says to him, I will what? Come and heal him. Now notice the response of this centurion. He says to Jesus the situation. Jesus understands what he's asking before he even asks it. And then it says, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Now, the response of the centurion shows you the level of spirituality that he had, which was a spirituality that, get this, surpassed even the people of God at that time. Listen to what he says here. It says in verse 8, how does the centurion answer? It says, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. What do we call that? If we were to sim uh, uh, basically summarize that phrase in one word, what kind of spirit does this centurion have? Humble. Humility is exerted here to the max. He says, Lord, I'm not even willing. I don't even want you. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But here's what is revealed here. He says, don't come, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. That's heavy, because this reveals to us that the centurion believed that there was power in the word of Jesus. The question today is, do we have the words of Christ? Yes, in what form? In the word of God, right? In the Bible, we have the word of Christ. Whether it be through the prophets of the Old Testament, it was the spirit of Jesus working through them. Whether it be through the apostles of the New Testament, it was the spirit of Christ working through them. So we have the words of Jesus in the Bible, but what are we learning through the centurion? That word has power. So a pagan, a heathen, understood the power in the words of Christ. And my hope for us today is that we will realize and that we will know, and I have to realize it and be reminded of it ever so often as the trials of life come, that the word of Jesus Christ 
has power in it. You remember, hold your Bibles there with me in Matthew, all right? And let's go and see the power of this word. So go with me in your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 1 and verse 1. So you're holding your, your Bibles there in John chapter 1 and verse 1. And actually, I have the clicker here, so I'll use it. John chapter 1 and verse 1. And when you are there, say amen. All right. Now, we know this passage as it concerns Jesus Christ, right? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, who is this Word? Skip down to verse 14. It says, and the Word was made what? Flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word there, dwelt, actually means to tabernacle. So it's giving us the idea that in the Old Testament, you had a place where God dwelt. What was that place called? The sanctuary. Now, it's interesting. God told Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, God came to dwell among them, but God said, you know what? It's not enough for me to dwell among you. I want to come even closer. And so what does God do? It's interesting. As you study the Old Testament sanctuary, you find out that the covering of the sanctuary, does anyone know what the covering of the sanctuary was? I heard it. I heard it. Skin. Who said that? All right, Ms. Philomena, that's it. It was, there were curtains in it, but the covering itself was of clean, the skin of clean animals. Now, why do you think God would cover that sanctuary in skin? Because you remember, the sanctuary is a type of what God was trying to do between man and himself. He was trying to be at one with us. Hence, you know what he does in the New Testament? He says, I'm not going to just dwell in an earthly sanctuary anymore. I'm going to come in skin itself. Hence, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the word was made flesh. So no longer is it just God dwelling among us. Now it is God with us. God comes even closer to the point of dwelling in our very human experience. And do you know that's not, he's not satisfied with that? Friends, the New Testament tells us God goes beyond just dwelling among us. He goes beyond dwelling with us. Ultimately, by his Holy Spirit, where does God dwell? In us. The mystery of godliness is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. So God wants to draw so close that the intimacy is so deep that him and I, you and him, are one. He dwells within our faculties, guiding us, strengthening us. And so this same Jesus that wants to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit, the Bible says something about him in John chapter 1 and verse 3. Verse 2 says, The same was in the beginning with God, but notice what it says about Jesus. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. 
So I'm going to ask you, all right? You tell me. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you tell me the answer. So who made the world? Jesus Christ. For how many things were made by him? All. Who made the angelic intelligences? God. Well, we're seeing who was part of that. Jesus Christ. Who made humanity? God did. But we're finding out how many things did Jesus make? All. So who made man who was involved in that process? Jesus Christ. So Christ is not only our redeemer, Christ is our creator. So get this, who was part of saying in the beginning, let there be light? Jesus Christ. And that word was so powerful that after he said it, what happened? There was light. In other words, the point that I want to illustrate is that what God says is, as he speaks it, it comes to be. Therefore, he has authority. And that's, what, that's actually, you're setting us up for the next part. So the big thing is, as we realize that that word has authority, as Brother Russell mentioned, we're realizing now, if we take that word and we claim it for our lives, what do you think it will do? It will do, what's that? It will empower us. It will do exactly what it says in our lives. This is why something I've been doing lately in my own Christian life, in my own Christian walk, I just finished a book, uh, reading a book called Steps to Personal Revival, and it was mentioning the significance and the crucial lesson that every Christian must learn in praying over their lives the very word of God, taking the promises and claiming the promises of God in our prayer life. There are times in life, friends, I don't know about you, but there are times in life when trials come and you don't even know what to pray. Have any of you ever been there? Right? I know I have been there. And in those moments when I am weak and I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit says, just say the words that I gave the prophets back to me. And that is enough. Friends, God is is powerful and his word is powerful. Now we're going to notice something about this word that the centurion understand, understood. Go back with me in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 9. And this is what it says there. I'll read from verse 8 again so we connect to this point. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. So what what basis did he have for saying these words? You just speak, and the authority in your words will bring the healing. Faith, that's one, so it's crucial. What we're seeing here is faith in the word to do what it says. Does that make sense? So faith in the word to do what it says. But what we're going to see today is that there is a process at times, there is a powerful process involved between the speaking of the word and the fulfillment of the word. Are you ready to see this, friends? This blew my mind when I first saw it. 
This is what it says in verse 9. What basis did he have to go off of this? Um, say this statement. One was faith, and the other is in verse 9. It says, for I know you can do it by your word, because I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and what does the servant do? He does it. So he's saying, I know that if you speak the word, it will be done. Why? Because when I speak a word, I have soldiers to carry out what I say. So that means, friends, when God speaks, we're going to see the same thing. Does that make sense? All right? So I'm going to read to you this statement. This is a profound statement. It is found in the powerful book, one of my, power, my, my favorite books on the life of Jesus Christ, apart from Scripture. It says this. This is found in Desire of Ages, and it's actually stated in page 316, paragraph 2. And she, as, as the author is writing about what the centurion says, she's breaking down what he really meant. So, he, so this is what he really meant. As I represent the power of Rome, because he was a centurion, and my soldiers recognize my authority as supreme, so do you represent the power of the infinite God. And all created things obey your word. You can command the disease to depart and it will obey you. You can summon who? Your heavenly messengers. Who is that, by the way? Angels. And they will impart what? Healing virtue. Speak but the word. And my servant will be healed. So what was he realizing? What was this pagan realizing? Right. So he, his authority that he had, he was able to recognize God's power and also how it, how it operates. So the word of God is fulfilled in our lives through the involvement of angels. When God speaks, angels immediately set about to bring about what he says. Friends, that's powerful. There are times, friends, you may feel like you are alone. It may feel like God has left you. But what we're seeing today, friends, is that angelic forces are intricately involved in bringing to pass the word of God in your life. God has angels, armies of them, that he has commissioned to protect you. And this is the powerful thing about this passage because, is this a Jew saying this? No. <laughs> All right? And we're going to come to that. That's going to be one of the, the last points we cover today. But as we look at this, this man says this, which means he is intelligent as to how God's kingdom works. All right? So this is not just, oh, Lord, just speak and it will happen. No, he understands not just that it will happen, but how it happens. 
The word of God goes forth and it never returns to him void. But now we're seeing that there is an involvement of heaven in the process of making sure that it is never void. It says here, now, in light of this, right, how do you think Jesus responds? Verse 10 says, when Jesus heard it, this is one of the rare times you hear this, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that follow. Now, this is a serious thing that Jesus says here. He says to them that followed, so now everyone's around, and he says to them this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not where? In Israel. Now remember, the guy that Jesus just healed, the leper, before, that guy was a Jew, right? The way that we know that is because after Jesus heals him, he tells him, go to the priest. Show yourself to, to them, right? That you're healed. So what are we seeing here? Jesus says, I haven't found such great faith in Israel. That means as powerful as the faith that was exhibited in the leper's life, there is an even more powerful faith. There is an even more powerful faith than undaunted faith. And that faith is intelligent faith. A faith that doesn't just believe that God works, but is invested in understanding how he works in the life. How he brings about his word in our lives individually and corporately. And this is why God is saying to us, we must be involved in studying the works of God, in studying his operations so that when we pray, we know how he works. You remember the same thing we find in the book of Daniel. Daniel prays to God about understanding a vision that he received. And as he prays, you remember, how long was it between the prayer and the answer to the prayer? Does anyone remember? It was approximately 21 days. Now, when the angel Gabriel came to Daniel... He said to Daniel, hey, when you prayed at first, it was already answered. God already, he already said about working out the answer. But there was a process between the prayer and the answer to the prayer. And you remember what he said? He said, man, I wanted to come to you, and I, and I was going to come to you, but, but I was wrestling with someone else. Showing that an angelic forces are involved in the answering of the prayers of God in our lives. Friends, this is, when I learned this, I was like, wow, man, so I'm really not alone. And not only that, it teaches us patience because it shows that, yes, of course, God has all power and he can, do, he can do stuff in a moment. But I realized, and probably you've seen that as well, sometimes you pray and it takes a while before the answer comes. And you're thinking, man, like, God, I prayed to you. I, I'm coming to you with a sincere heart. Like, how come you're not answering me? Friends, what we're seeing from the Bible is that God has answered. But there is a process between the prayer and the fulfillment of what was prayed for. And that process, you know what it builds in us? 
patience. It teaches us to say, God, I'm not getting the answer that I prayed for immediately, but I'm going to trust that it will come at the right time when I need it most. Friends, sometimes it's immediately and sometimes it takes time. So how does Jesus respond to this? He marvels at this. And the Bible tells us, it reminded me of a text. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, Are they, speaking of the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And that's every one of us in this room, right? All of us desire the salvation. And God is saying the angels are at work on our behalf to bring about this work in our lives. It is a powerful thought as I looked at this because this is the last point that we're going to look at. We see that a heathen, a Roman, one not of Jewish descent, has more of a faith, an intelligent faith, than even the Jews themselves. Now remember, the Romans did not have the oracles of God. It was the Jewish nation that had those oracles. But yet, even while having those oracles, many times you find, quote-unquote, Gentiles understanding the scriptures even more than those who have had the scriptures for generations. You find, for example, when Jesus was coming to the point of being a child, you have the wise men coming. And you remember, they came, the same book, Desire of Ages, actually tells us these men, even though existing among a heathen land, they were not idolaters. They had a love for the word of God. And as a result, they followed the star all the way to the Son of God. People who were Gentiles had greater faith than, than the Jews themselves. What are we seeing here? The Bible says in verse 11, it says, And I say unto you, Jesus says, that many shall come from where? The east and west. That means outside of Israel. And they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But here's what happens. What do you think happens to the children of Abraham, though? But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. That's a heavy statement. That means those who have the oracles, because they haven't been living in harmony with the oracles, they may be descendants of Abraham literally, but they are not spiritually. That's why Jesus could say to them, he says, guys, if you were really Abraham's children, you would accept me. In other words, Jesus is looking not at the circumcision of the flesh, but he's looking at the circumcision of the, the heart. Is the heart right? And if the heart is right, that is a true Israelite indeed. So God is showing us here the crucial point and the last point that I wanted to bring out is that not only should we have an intelligent faith like the centurion, but God is revealing to us that he is at work in the world. He is at work in the lives of those even outside of what today we call, according to Bible prophecy, the remnant of Bible prophecy. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is known as that visible remnant in the world, a church organized by God himself 
to reveal his character. But what the Bible is telling us is that there is an invisible remnant. There are people scattered throughout the face of the earth that God is working in their lives. And he is teaching them of himself. You guys have probably heard the stories. Missionaries show up at a certain place, and when they get there, they get to a people who don't have the Bible like we have it, yet they're still following the very principles of Scripture. Stories like these are happening because God is at work in the lives of those who may not be connected to the visible church or the visible remnant of Bible prophecy. And in the end, do you know what he will do with these people? In the end, the Bible tells us there's going to be a mass exodus of those people and they will come in among us and they will stand faithful to God. But sadly, the intense point, and this is why it is an, an intense rebuke for me, God is saying, but Akeem, you must hold fast your faith. Because there are many times that those who are outside have more faith than even we possess. But it shouldn't be like that. With the increase of life or with the increase of light should come an increase of faith in the God who gave that light. Revelation 18 and verse 4 tells us what will happen to this group, this invisible remnant scattered throughout every religion of the world. It tells us in verse 4, Revelation 18 and verse 4, Jesus speaking, it says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, to be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. Just as Jesus was calling the centurion and drawing him to himself based on the stories the centurion heard, in these last days, God is calling people as well. He's calling them out of deception, out of darkness, and these people are walking according to the light that they have faithfully. My prayer is that it will be so as it is in the invisible. It will be so in the visible remnant. Those of us who have the light that has been given, may we by faith walk in that light and hence be a revelation to the world of God's love. Can you say amen with me in that? Amen, amen. With that, let's have a word of prayer as we close. Father in heaven, I pray that, Lord, we will have the faith of the centurion, a faith that is not just undaunted like the leper, but a faith that is even greater, a faith that is undaunted as well as intelligent concerning how you work in our lives, through the angels. We thank you that we are not alone, but Lord, bring these spiritual realities vividly to our minds, that Lord, we may live as though we are in the very presence of, of you and also the presence of unfallen beings who delight to do your will. We thank you for this truth, Lord. We pray that we will be faithful to the end. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.